nine o'clock. Hi, this is Andrew Taylor. Welcome to my podcast where we talk about millennials in this crazy, messed up, awesome world that they're adulting into. Thanks for joining. Hey guys, welcome to episode six. In this episode, I interview my best friend, Riley Jensen. We are actually uh, interviewing over the internet internationally. So there were a few sound glitches, no main points are lost, but I had to do a little editing towards the end there. The Everything turned out really great, so be patient, bear with me, and enjoy. Thanks for joining. Hi, this is Andrew. Welcome to podcast episode number six. I have in today one of my best friends, Riley Jensen. We're actually going to do an interview. Riley, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I got you, man. And I, I got to clarify, I have to say one of my best friends because I have to keep Riley honest. Um, if I call him my best friend, he'll get complacent and lazy. And uh, he knows there's a couple well, other best friends out there. And, uh, there's, a, there's, a basic, there's a basic premise to best friend, Andrew, and you don't seem to have any comprehension whatsoever about what that is. And that's that there's only one best friend. And you have like seven, and I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. So (laughs) This is is true. I'm going going with I'm the best friend. (laughs) Fair enough, Riley. He is my best friend. My wife gives me a hard time about this as well um, because everybody is pretty much my best friend. And – but in all honesty, Riley Riley has been – is my best friend. (laughs) We've been through thick and thin – He's he's seen me through a lot of ups and downs, and what's cool is is our friendship developed um, kind of in I think it was like uh, late twenties when we first met. Riles, what do you want to talk about where we first met? Yeah, I remember the best day of your life. It was it was it was really a great day, um, not necessarily, and I was at kind of a group get together with your sister who was also down there. I, not, not that I, I wasn't with your sister. She was just in the same group. And all of a sudden some guy walks up with a mustache. Let's get a load of this guy real quick. And then you introduced me to mustache may you introduced me to a whole bunch of different things I'd never thought about. And I was in right from the beginning. I mean, I think I did like eight mustache maze in a row because of you. And I think we just, built kind of a fun relationship right from the beginning. You, you, you brought the sauce, man, right from the beginning. <laughs> it was, it was funny. Riley walked up and was like, dude, that mustache is awesome. And we started talking and that was kind of the beginning of the end, um, you know, for us. And I, you know, I often tell the students in our program that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that if they can take any one thing from our program, it's that the people you surround you yourself with will have the greatest impact on your life. Like the easiest thing you can do to better your life is to surround yourself with good friends and good people. I, I do believe that, you know, if, if you brought your five, the five people you spent the most time with into a room and we interviewed them, we could look to you and say, Hey, you're probably going to end up like this, or we could probably guess a lot about your life. Um, some people hate to admit this. Um, some people fight this idea, but I've seen it too much to not believe in it. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I figured if we're going to talk about friendship, the best thing I could do is bring in my best friend. And Riley's someone I look up to a lot. He's um, he's he's played college football. Um, he just finished his master's in sports psychology, and we've had a lot of long, deep talks about life. And we've read a lot of books and studied a lot together, and just kind of had a lot of long, you know, long discussions about how we can be better people. And Riley's had a huge impact on me in so many ways. You know, uh, Angela Duckworth in her book Grit. She, she says at one point, the easiest way to develop more grit is to surround yourself with gritty friends. And, and I've seen that to be, to be true in, in my life in every way. The, the people I've, I've been really lucky um, to be you know, organically surrounded by great people. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've made a very conscious effort with friends in, in deciding who I want to surround myself with. And, and so anyway, Riley's on, um, I, I can almost guarantee he will cry in this interview at some point. <laughs> he, but they uh, don't call it for nothing. Yeah. He, uh, one thing I love about him, he's got a big heart. I don't think Riley and I can have a conversation without him tearing up at some point. Um, but it is over audio. So we, he might be able to hide it a little bit, <laughs> but but first of all, I think my first question for you, Riley, and maybe you've heard me talk about this, but uh, one thing that I concept that I really like is this idea of mustard butt friends. And those are the friends that, you know, if you're walking around with mustard on your butt, they're going to be like, hey, dude, you got, you, got, you got mustard on your butt. What does that look like in real life? It means, you know, you're, you're walking through life and maybe there's some behaviors or attitudes that you're engaging in aren't good for you and a good mustard butt friend will be like dude i expect more of you like you're blowing it right now and i think oftentimes we we mistake good friendship for the like i love you no matter what kind of guy and um i've found the the friendships that have really done the most for me are the ones that can call me out riley you've been that kind of a friend for me um what what about you who have been some mustard butt friends for you well, first of all, let me let me clarify some things. Um, they don't. They call me puddles. I'm I'm an emotional person. Uh, <laughs> I I prefer to say that I'm um, I'm a passionate person. And so, when I'm invested in things, when I'm invested in friendships, when I'm invested in different things, sometimes sometimes tears comes. They 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 come to my face. But more more often than not, I think it's just you know overrated allergies. But you know, you can call it what you want, but uh, <laughs> just answer um, the question. Yeah. So let me get to the question. I just had to clarify some things there, but the the question is a good one. Um, a mustard butt friend is, is, is a good term for it. And I don't know. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I don't even know if you knew that you had the effect on me that you did, but I remember we were having a conversation one night and I can't remember you know, I don't know what it is that springs us into a deep conversation or into a meaningful conversation, but they seem to come up a lot between the two of us. But I remember specifically where I was. I was in my car. I had given you a ride back to your parents' house for some reason. And we'd been talking about a mutual friend that we're just like, man, if he just knew what his thing was, like he could move on in life. It's like, 
he didn't understand what all of us understood about him. And if he just understood that about himself, he could move forward. And we, we kind of talked about it for a minute. And then you just said, yeah, you know, I think that's totally true. So, you know, why we're sitting here, Riley, can you tell me what my thing is? And when I say thing, I mean, what you're talking about is what is that thing that's stopping me from getting the things out of life that I want? What is that thing that's stopping me from progressing and being successful and happy and those sorts of things? And I remember being absolutely scared to tell you. I knew exactly what your thing was. (laughs) (laughs) And I've gotten better at it over time. But that night was a very, very scary moment for me. And it was a very nervous moment for me. And I'll tell you why. It's because I didn't want your finger to come back at me and tell me what my thing was. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't know what your thing was. It wasn't that I was unable to express that to you or to be able to tell you or be able to tell you in a way that could be helpful to you. It's that I didn't want to know, you know, as soon as my conversation was over with you, what my thing was. And it was a really, really pivotal point for me. And it was a really, really powerful moment for me because I realized that I couldn't even be the friend that I wanted to be because I was afraid to get honest feedback coming back at me. And I, I think in a lot of ways, it's changed my life. Um, being able to be open to that feedback open to feedback that tells me what I need to do to improve has been, has been a significant thing for me. And it's been a difficult thing for me starting really, I think I was in my early thirties when we had that talk and I'm not sure that I'm perfect at it yet. I'm not sure that I've, that I've, that I've gotten great at it yet. I still feel like I'm sensitive in some ways to, to honest feedback but the more honest I can be with myself, the more I, uh, the more aware I am of my own uh, pitfalls and shortcomings, the better friend I'm able to to be, and the better friend, uh, and I just feel better about myself in general when I'm a good friend. And so, being open to feedback has been a huge deal for me. And I think that was the first time that that conversation that I had with you was was super cool because you're like no just tell me what it is and I'm like oh no I think you're doing good and I was real surfacey and I think I came back to you a couple days later and I said okay here's what it is and without going into it further I just think that that was a big moment for me to be able to like really open up and be vulnerable and be okay with feedback and realize that this is a really good friend that just wants to help me why do you think that's such a hard process and how do we because you can't be a mustard butt friend with everybody it's not like you can go around telling everybody like hey you really need to work on this like you know how do you differentiate the timing and in the place and the the safety of a relationship to be like hey can i give you some feedback or hey can you dude will you tell me my thing i I, that's kind of how you and i frame it and i like it it's like what's my thing What's the thing that I'm doing that's kind of annoying and probably, you know, glaring to everyone else except for me? And the feedback you gave me was really helpful and continues to be because I catch myself all the time doing, quote unquote, my thing. Yeah, I think 
I, I think, look, you know, there's there's all kinds of phrases that we could use to describe why we, we can talk to someone and another person we can't. There's, there's a general feel. I, I, I definitely think that there's part of you that needs to trust your gut on who you trust. And, but I think that actions speak a lot louder than words. I think you've been there for me for a lot of different things. I think you've been around. I think you'd shown that you cared about me as a friend, that you cared about me as a person and that you cared about my well-being enough that it, it wasn't so much that I cared about being vulnerable to you. It was just that I cared about being vulnerable uh, in general. And so that was just, that was more of a me problem at that point. But I knew that I could trust you. I knew that I could tell you things. I just wasn't sure that I was open to the feedback yet. And so I think it's something that builds up over time. And, and, I think another thing is, you know, going back to your thought about hanging around five, you know, the five people you hang around with kind of determine your destiny. There was other people that we were hanging around with at the time that you were able to be open with and give feedback to. And I was like, oh, that's how that works. Oh, that wasn't so bad for either one of them. Right. That was a, that was a little bit of conflict, but not that terrible. It didn't have to be colossal, the conversation. And I think I learned how to communicate by watching you interact with some of our other friends as well. And so that became impactful in my life. And really, I just think communication is, is, is such a huge thing. And if you communicate to people, then you can trust. Not only can you trust yourself, but you can, you can trust the people that you have around you. And I, I mean, I, I remember, and I don't know if it was you that told me this, it, it might've been, but this is just an example of trust. But I used to think that being a laid back person and totally being okay with whatever was going on, you know, you, we had a group of friends all the time and we'd go out and they're like, Hey, what, what movie do you want to go to? And I'm like, ah, I don't care. And then you'd be like, well, what restaurant do you want to go to? Ah, I don't care. I mean, I can find something that I want. And I, all this time I thought I was being super agreeable and like this really easygoing friend. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's something to be, you know, proud. I was another friend in our group that told me one time, you know, they just said, Hey, you know, when you tell me you don't care about which restaurant you go to or what movie you go to, you know, that's BS. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And I, and I, and they go, it's just total BS. Of course you have a preference. Everybody has a preference. I mean, you have to get your feelings hurt if we don't do what you say. And I learned a valuable lesson that night that was, it was this, I'm going to express my, my, my feelings and I'm going to express the, my preferences and then I'm going to be okay with whatever the answer is after. So I always tell people what movie I would prefer to go to. And I always tell people what restaurant I would like to go to. And that's an easy scenario that you can practice in. And I think people trust me more now though, because they know that I have an opinion and that I share it. And it's like, so what movie do you want to go to? I want to go to Batman. I wanted to see Batman forever. You know, what restaurant do you want to go to? I want to go to the Dodo. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of a lame restaurant. I know, but it's the place I want to go. Well, we're not going there, Riley. We're going somewhere else. I'm like, okay, awesome. Cause I do have an opinion. It doesn't mean that I was attached to it that, that, uh, that much that, that it would ruin my night if we didn't go to the Dodo, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think I, I always thought it was interesting when we were back in our dating days and you know, you're trying to get to know somebody like what kind of music do you like? And I, 
it was always frustrating when someone would be like, I, I like all kinds of music. <laughs> You're not really offering someone much of yourself when you answer things like that, right? Like, um, I think part of that's learning to just be in a relationship, in any relationship, and that is, you know, actually having the guts to lay it out there and 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 be honest with your opinions or be opinionated, but also having, I think the key to what you just said is having the ability to to be easygoing after you offer your opinion. <laughs> be like, yeah, I'd love right. to see Batman, but I'll go to whatever. Because you really are that easygoing, you know, most of the time where you're like, I really don't care. You You really don't, but you do have a preference. And you're right. It allows people to start to trust you and be like, oh, cool. I, I know where Riley's at. And uh, exactly. I think we can practice that in our lives as well. Not just a simple thing like movies and dinners, but on any issue, you should be able to say how you feel and you should be able to express how you feel to anyone. Just say it quietly and without emotion. And it usually goes pretty well. Yeah. I, I want to talk about men, especially men like guy, guy groups of, of friends. Um, something I've seen a lot with some of the, the young men that come into our program. And I, I've seen this definitely in my life. I think men, we have this sort of bantering that, that we do. It's, it's sort of just ingrained in us, this, this sort of, um, you know, talking trash to each other and things like that. And what's interesting is, is you and I and, and the roommates that we lived with in your house back then, we bantered a ton. We talked a ton of trash and it was so much fun. And, and it was like, it bonded us. But I was in other friend circles and I see this with our, our clients where they come in and they say, dude, I'm, I'm in a friendship group where we're like really mean to each other. And like, they've said some really mean things to me that I don't like. and like we're like we're really hard on each other and and they're actually what they're saying is I want out. I don't want that. What's the difference? Do you, why, why do you think it's different? Like, why do you think we could do it? And it was like bonding and it was fun and it was our way of, of having a good time. But in other settings, when it's happening, you're going like, you're going something underneath deep in underneath. You're going like, this isn't right, man. It's like that. It's not like I don't like this. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not getting closer to these people. I'm actually less and less. Um, I'm feeling less safe, you know, around these guys. I'm not going to open yeah. up. What do you think? I mean, you've been on the radio. You've been played college football. A lot of locker room talk. You've had a lot of different environments. What do you think's the difference when it comes to that, like male bantering? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a really tough question because I, I can tell you this, as much fun as we had and as, as close and as bonded as we became as a bunch of roommates in our house, Hold if on. that makes sense. And right. so, okay, wait, can you say that again? Because yeah. I, we're, and anybody who's listening, we're, we're actually doing this over the internet. I'm in Costa Rica, Riley's in the States. So you just, you just went out on that last statement. Can you say that one more time, man? Yeah, I just, uh, what I was saying was as as fun as it was and as bonding as it was when we were all roommates living together um the day i got married was a huge adjustment for me because um <laughs> some of the things that i used to banter with you guys about were not necessarily acceptable to my wife <laughs> and, you know i think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier i mean 
I was in lots of locker rooms. I've been on the radio and sarcasm and, you know, self-deprecation and some different things are, are pretty fun depending on the group that you're with. But I think you need to be able to communicate how you feel. And what I didn't understand with my wife in the very beginning when I was shifting down and trying to figure out how to communicate with her in a fun way was that those things didn't feel fun to her and they didn't feel good to her and she was communicating it to me. And I was like, no, 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 you just need to understand this is fun. And what she was telling me is like, no, that's not how I want our relationship to be. And so I think it comes down to communication. I think that if you and I and, you know, Jared and Dan and Steve and some of the different guys that lived in our house had gotten to a point where it didn't feel very good, we would have said something to each other. And we would just sort of said, hey, man, it kind of bums me out when you say that, because I'm not sure that you really mean it in a fun way, you know? And I think we were in a position where we all communicated that way. And so um, we were able to develop a healthy relationship because no one was communicating that their feelings would hurt, were, were hurt. Everybody was just communicating and having a lot of fun with the banter and the different things that were going on. And so it, communication is the key to, to, to almost every relationship that I've been involved with. Yeah, but put yourself in that college, you know, that 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 young guy in college that's, you know, got a pretty decent friendship group, but sometimes the bantering crosses the line. Like honestly, we're in our 30s now and so this these conversations are a lot easier, but you know, when you're 19 and 20 to say, "Hey guys, I don't feel safe" or I don't like like I hate to use well, those think- words, but like you know, what would you say to a 20-year-old guy right now that's like, man, these are my friends I grew up with, but it, they crossed the line. And it is a fine line. Like, I do think there's a fine line there between, hey, we're having a good time and like, hey, dude, that's not cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was easy at 33. I don't think it's easy at 20. I don't think it's easy at 14. Um, these are these are those moments that I talk about that, you know, everybody each day needs to practice like one minute of pure unadulterated guts. Now I'm not saying that in the middle of the banter and everything that you start pouting and saying, God guys, I think you took it too far. That kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, no, nobody really relates to whining in a group setting, but it's certainly something that you could note and maybe talk to the leader of the group or someone that you feel has gone too far. And a little bit later to say, Hey man, I know you're probably just joking around, but man, that one, that one didn't feel like you were joking around. Is there something that is going on between us that I need to know about? Or is there something? And that goes back to earlier in our conversation where we're talking about being vulnerable and we're talking about, you know, setting boundaries with each other and communicating. And if truthfully, if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you can have that conversation with anybody in the room, not one person, then then maybe you are in the wrong room. And that might be that might be hurtful for you in the beginning, but maybe you need to start thinking about, man, maybe I need better friends, or maybe I need friends that I can communicate with and talk in the way that I like to talk. It doesn't mean that you abandon all your friends immediately, but maybe you start noticing who responds to you in a positive way and who responds to you in a negative way when when you're talking to them in an honest way. I don't know. I it's it, that is a definitely a tough situation. There's no question about it. Yeah, I think, and I think it's one that a lot of young men find themselves in. 
And and that actually segues really nicely into what I wanted to ask you next. And how that is, how do you know, how do you know when you're in a crab pot? You know, the, the crab pot theory is that you don't have to put a lid on a pot of crabs because when one tries to climb out, the others pull it down. You know, I, we're all insecure when we're growing up and we're trying to fit in, we're trying to find, find friendship groups. I mean, here you and I are talking about how like, you know, pick friendship groups. And for some people out there, they're like, dude, I'd, I'd kill to have a friend, let, a, let alone a friendship group, which maybe we could talk about that later, you know, but, but how do you know when you're in a crab pot or when you're in an environment where you just got to give it a little more time and have those conversations? I mean, I think that's a great answer. That first one is if you can, if you can't honestly sit down with a friend in that group and say, listen, man, I like bantering, but I feel like you kind of crossed the line. That conversation doesn't go well. And someone's really unwilling to like take accountability or, or, or just respect you. I think that's a good, that's a really good line in the sand of like, Hey, maybe this isn't a group I should be spending time with anymore. What are some other things do you think, you know, young men or young women could use to gauge, Hey, maybe, maybe this is just a situation I should remove myself from never easy, never easy at all, especially, uh, well, I'll get into it in a minute, but it, it's, that's a hard situation. It's a hard, it's a big decision to make when you're a young person. Like, Hey, I'm out. Like you gotta, you're choosing loneliness over this group that may have good moments. You know, I don't know. It's tough. You got any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really, it's, it's a lot easier to take inventory at the end of the night when you're on your way home. And I think it's really easy to go down the checklist and just ask yourself this question. Do I feel better right now? because I hung out with that better with that with that group of friends or with that person or do I feel worse tonight because I hung out with that person and 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 really just kind of have an honest conversation with yourself about what's going on are you uplifted are you feeling positive are you feeling hopeful are you feeling good things when you leave a group of people or are you feeling the opposite are you feeling antagonized? Are you feeling less than 100%? Are you feeling a little bit down because you hung out with a group of people? And I think it's really kind of easy once you leave the group to figure out how you're feeling. And then it makes it a little bit easier decision of, you know, saying, look, this needs to change or else I don't want to hang out in this group anymore. I mean, it, it's just a... I, I think you have to trust yourself a little bit that you that you know what it feels like to be in a group that uplifts you and inspires you and you know what it's like to be in a group that doesn't inspire you. Yeah. I I I like that a lot. I think it is a good indicator. Um you know, it's not it's not a question I asked myself when I was 23. <laughs> it is now when yeah. I'm 39, but I think it's a good skill to learn when you're younger because when you get in those crab pots I, I think it's hard to even realize you're in one and the tendency is, and I've been in a few in my life is you like, well, I got to fit in. I got to, I got to make this work, you know, like, and yeah. looking back, if I could talk to my 22 year old self, I'd be like, just, just, just move on, man. Like the, I've, I've had, I've been able and blessed or whatever you call it, you know, lucky to have 
great friends every step of the way. And, you know, big friendship groups, that's not necessarily always what you need. I, you, you always yeah. say this, and I, I love quoting you on this. Um, I don't always give you credit for it, but you, you, you never give me credit for my jokes on the radio, so I figure it's fair play. I, I present them better. I present <laughs> your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the, the, all you need is, is three. All you need is three, right? All you need is three close people that you can like be your f- full, authentic self with, that you can open up to, and and any more than that is gravy. Great, you got more friends, awesome. But but three really good friends is is enough to to really yeah. I don't know feel fulfilled, I guess, or I don't know what the word around that is, but you say it better than well, I do. Couple of things that I think are I I think just kind of deducing what you just talked about. Aren't we just talking about basic awareness? Aren't we just talking about and and I'm not saying that awareness is easy, but I think we're what what we're trying to say. If if I could go back and talk to 22 year old, 28 year old Riley Jensen is just just be aware of how you're feeling about things. Be aware of who you're hanging out with and why. You know, I, I don't think I put a lot of thought into it. And I think I lucked into some good friendships here and there. Um, some of that's been lucky. Some of it has been by design. But I think I'm much more aware of what people are saying, how they're saying it, how I feel when they say it now, you know, and those sorts of things. And so there's just a general awareness that if you can develop that awareness at a young age, life seems to be a little bit clearer and a little bit more meaningful. And then going to the point about the three friends or the three people, I mean, the one thing that I would say about that is, yeah, if you have more friends than that, great. But having three friends quiets a lot of the noise and it quiets a lot of the confusion. For example, if I'm having trouble with my girlfriend or if I'm having trouble with work and I go and talk to 14 different people, well, guess how many different answers I have on how I should handle the situation? I have 14. Right. And so there's just a lot of noise going into my head. Well, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. I don't know if I should do this. Well, this guy said I should do that. And this guy said I shouldn't do that. What should I do? And if you're able to kind of find out who your three friends are and talk to those three friends, it it eliminates a lot of noise in your life. And you're able to just kind of make positive and confident decisions based on their feedback. And you know that those three friends are good friends and people that care about you. Awesome. What, what about, let's talk for a minute about like finding friends. Have you, have you ever had a phase in your life where you intentionally sought out friends or has it always been kind of just a organic sort of law of attraction or a combination of both? Um, I think for the most part, I have, it's happened organically when you move or when you go into a new environment and those sorts of things, it, it, it's not as organic. You, you find yourself seeking friends and looking for friends or for example, when your best friend moves to Costa Rica, another good friend moves to California and another friend moves up, uh, you know, up to the Northwest, all of a sudden you find yourself a little bit further away from those three friends that you can just go 
and go to a restaurant and have a Diet Coke night and just talk to them about how you're feeling. Um, you, I, I'm finding myself right now looking for good friends. I find myself trying to develop relationships with people um, that I can have meaningful conversations with. Now, there are a lot of people that are around me right now that are interesting people that I can have meaningful conversations with. And so uh, that doesn't mean that I want to be friends with all of them or that I need to be friends with all of them. So I'm just giving myself a little bit of time. I'm trying not to put a time limit on how fast that process takes. Because when I look back at my, my three really good friends, you know, since we're talking about three, those three friends, it took years and years and years to forge a good friendship. And yeah, it happened organically, but I don't think I was best friends with any one of those three overnight, if that makes sense. And so I'm just allowing friendships to kind of take place instead of like really trying to force what I think should be a good friendship. Cause I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that a person should be a good friend for me or not immediately. I think those things take time. And so I'm giving myself time in that process so that I can, that I, so I can forge new friendships and really enjoy the new people that I interact with. That That's actually a good point. A lot of the young people I'm working with are at a crossroads in life where they're wanting to change. And a big part of that change means leaving old friends that have been good friends, loyal friends. But let's, you know, let's just call it what it is, man. When, when you're smoking pot and doing drugs, those are easy, those are easy bonds to form. That's a group that's really easy to integrate into. It just is. It always has been. <laughs> was when we were in junior high and high school, and it's just as true now as it was then, is that certain friendship groups are going to accept you no matter what. And it goes back to the mustard butt friends, right? You want friends that are going to call you out and be like, dude, you're better than this. Those friends are like, as long as you're with doing what we're doing, man, you are in. We will we will give you all the love and support you need. And that's the trapping that I see a lot of these young adults struggling with right now. And I I guess what advice would you give that young person that's considering starting their life over again? Meaning, man, ditching their old high school buddies, ditching some really close friends that that might have some old you know, habits that I got to, I got to like get out of my life because I can't manage those habits the way that person is. And what would you say to that young person or that young person that maybe has struggled making true friends? Like some people, it doesn't come as easily to them as maybe it does you or I. Right. Uh, my, my advice or my thought process or the, or, or the way that, that I would, would frame it would be, what an awesome adventure. What an awesome opportunity to do something that you haven't done before. And I, anytime I've moved, anytime that I've started over, anytime that I've gone through a really, really difficult breakup, I mean, let's be honest, you know, I don't know a ton about addiction and recovery and those sorts of things, but you're talking about a breakup, right? Yeah. You're breaking up. It's no different than breaking up with a girl. And guess what? That girl's friends with all your friends, and they're all hanging out with her. So what do you do at that point? Well, embrace the adventure. If you're in a new state, you embrace it. You go and learn. You go and find new things. You read new books. And 
enjoy the process. Look, maybe best friends, maybe good friends come overnight. Maybe they don't for you. But I do believe that there's good things to come for all of us. I just believe that. And I believe that with a little bit of work on our part, a little bit of effort, stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something a little bit different than you've done before, that good things happen and you just have to notice them. Read a book. You know, if you don't know how to, you know, maybe maybe you're not very good at getting friends. How about read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? And maybe just learn how to frame things a little bit different than what you've done in the past. Maybe you're a little bit of an introvert and you don't like going out into groups. And maybe you have to force yourself to do that every once in a while and come up with a game plan before you go out so that no matter what happens that night that you're successful. Like, you know, look, I don't have to get a date tonight. I don't have to have a best friend tonight, but I do need to talk to three people. And if they say, hey, I don't really want to talk to you. No big deal. Let's go to Dairy Queen because I talked to three people. Right. <laughs> and 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 you start small and you enjoy the process and you enjoy the adventure because all of us have our thing kind of like you and I were talking about all of us have things that make us uncomfortable all of us have things that are really really difficult but i have found that when i turn it into an adventure and i enjoy the process and from time to time i really try to just practice guts just try and practice that pure, unadulterated guts that I talk about, that I feel better about myself. And regardless of whether everything's going exactly how I want it, when I step out of my comfort zone and I get brave, it feels like I just feel better about myself. So that would be my advice. It reminds me of how our friendship started i mean yeah we kind of like we hit it off the first day we met we were laughing and having a good time but we didn't we didn't start being friends then right like i think it was six or seven months later a lot of my really close friends at that time got married three of my best friends got married within a month of each other and i moved to costa rica i moved back <laughs> And I, I was kind of starting fresh. And I remember you and I had met. I knew who you were. Like we, you know, I was like, that guy's way cool. And you had a bunch of people over to your house every Sunday night. You had a big, like, you used to have these raging parties on Sunday night. <laughs> and I remember, like, I remember being like, I'm really uncomfortable. I like how you said it's an adventure. And I'm like, Riley's a cool dude. I'm going. I don't know anybody there except for him. And part of me was kind of like bummed out. Like, dude, I can't believe I've got to like start fresh, but I can tell you my newly married friends weren't about to like, we were just like life changed real quick on me. And I think that's typical in young adulthood, man, you move, your friend gets married and, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, college is over, whatever it is, that phase is over and I've got to, I got to start fresh again, which you don't think you have to do, but it turns out, even four years ago when I moved to Costa Rica, I had to start fresh down here. And and yeah. I like it. You're right. It takes guts, man. You just get out of your comfort zone. Went over to Riley's house. We sat and talked and laughed for like two hours. And I was like. Yeah, we, laughed. we laughed our butts off. Yeah, that was a fun night, man. I was like. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you remember it. And I was like, dude, these guys oh, are way man. cool. And yeah, you're what? How You're what? How many years older than me are you? Like three or four, two, three? Uh, I'm 43. What are you, 37 now? 39. You're 
three, four yeah. years older than me. I didn't. Years older than you. Yeah, I didn't. I was. I at that age in my life, I thought, well, you're you're really good friends or your age because they always had been, right? High school, college, you just sort of associate, and then you hit this time in life where I'm like, yeah, Riley's as old as my older brother, but he's also my best friend, and it it's cool. I think it's been fun. You're right. It's an adventure. And you just got to get out there and do it. Um, what do you think? How do you um, how do you define loyalty? And you know, because there's a, also a fine line of being loyal to a friend who's down, being loyal to a friend who maybe has even been a jerk to you. Like you and I have had our ups and downs in our friendship, right? Like there's been times where like we've, we've driven each other nuts and like we wanted to kill each other. Right. Like, you know, how do you define, how do you know when, when you're just going through a rough patch with a good friend and how do you know when it's time to maybe cut, cut loose and, and move on? Like what, I think loyalty is something that a lot of people struggle with. It's like loyal to a fault, loyal to no end. And I don't necessarily think that's healthy. I think there's a time when you say, Hey man, uh, I am loyal. I got your back, but I can't. I can't keep supporting you in these behaviors. I can't keep hanging out with you, you know, because it's it's really having a negative impact on me. Yeah, I think I think you have to be loyal. Oof, loyalty loyalty is an interesting word because I, I I just don't believe that loyalty to a fault. I mean. If, if you're going to go jump off a cliff, and I know this is cliche, but, uh, you know, I'm not following you off a cliff. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And in fact, loyalty to me in that metaphor would include telling you that you're being an idiot. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you jumping off that cliff, Andrew? You don't have a parachute. You're not prepared. You can't fly. Why, why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? And I think, when you can figure out the fine line between just being loyal to a fault and I'm just friends with that guy, no matter what, and being able to, you know, talk to somebody and have honest conversations. I mean, you and I have had really, really difficult conversations from everything over uh, something as stupid as like, I don't like it that you're putting your clothes in my drawer, in my dresser, in my room to you know like who do you think, <laughs> who do you i don't think, remember that i to, i do not remember that <laughs> to who do you think i should marry you know so it's it, it's like we've had difficult conversations i think you have engendered loyalty for me because when i've had a serious conversation with you i have seen change and i have seen acknowledgement you, you know not not that you always completely changed everything, but that you acknowledged that you could see my side of it. And that just made me feel comfortable. And I feel extremely loyal to you in so many ways. Um, but you and I have had hard conversations about a lot of things. I don't want to bring up personal things on this, but there's been three or four doozies and yeah. it hasn't changed our relationship, but it's changed. I think it's 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 made our relationship more in depth. I think it's made our relationship more understanding, and I think it's made our relationship all the more powerful. Cool. I like I like how you said loyalty 
loyalty isn't following somebody off a cliff. It's stopping somebody and being like, uh, the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> like, you know, and I, I think loyalty is something that a lot of young people confuse. And it's this, there's this badge of honor of like, I'm a really loyal friend. Well, I, I see loyalty getting a lot of young people trying to get healthy and get out of, get out of trouble. I've seen it keep them in trouble a lot. Andrew, I am loyal to you until you start being a jackass. So that's, <laughs> you know, like, wouldn't you rather have that? I mean, you're loyal to me until I start being an idiot. I mean, look, it, it, you need that person. We can't all be the emperor with no clothes on, right? And, and you know the old fable, the emperor's walking around, he has no clothes on, and everybody's so scared of the emperor that nobody tells the emperor he has no clothes on. Uh, you, you know, you you can't turn your friendships into that kind of loyalty. You you have to be able to w willing to risk something in order to gain a really good friendship. And so I don't want to be walking around with my head in the clouds. I don't want to be walking around with my clothes off and everybody's laughing at me and I don't have a friend that can tell me the truth. That's a terrible place to be. I, I'd rather I'd rather have friends like you, Andrew, that can tell me that, you know, like, look, you, dude. You look really stupid right now. You have no clothes on. <laughs> you know, I, I want to know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any more questions. Do you have anything you want to add or any anything you think, any advice you would give a young millennial that's maybe starting to hit college or graduate college or coming out of high school or, you know, maybe not going to college, maybe, you know, trying to figure out a career with respect to the kind of people they're hanging out with in friendship. Well, I, I, I'll just say this. I do, I do have a question for you after this, but as far as advice goes, or as far as maybe some sort of antidote or something that, that could be impactful or helpful, my, my experience as a performance psychologist, and I work with athletes and I work with business people and I work with um, recently, I've been working with a professional uh, uh, rodeo, uh, a steer wrestler. Um, when, I, when I look around at my group of friends, when I look around at the people that I work with, if I'm being honest, um, this, this whole idea of time traveling into the past and regretting decisions that you've made in the past and letting those hold you up in the future it's, it's a really, really sad thing for me to watch. Um, you know, I, I have friends that have gone through divorce and they, and they question their own judgment. I have friends that have been alcoholics and they question their own judgment. And I've had friends that, that do things that they don't consider to be great things that they're ashamed of or embarrassed of. And so they don't trust themselves to make good decisions in the future. And my, my advice would be stop time traveling, stop traveling back to 2007, stop traveling back to 2013, stop time traveling back to 1987, whatever, whatever it is, take those experiences, understand that you were doing the best you could, that you were trying your very, very best to make good decisions for your life and trust yourself again because i would say and i would argue that nine times out of ten the people that i work with 
their gut feelings are still really, really healthy and really, really good for them, but they don't trust themselves. And so that hesitation and that, that worry um, causes a lot of anxiety and it causes a lot of stress in their lives. And that doesn't mean to go forward and be blind and not to learn lessons, but that, that means that when your gut is telling you something that is, that is making you hopeful or that is making you feel positive about the world or optimistic about the world, I, trust your gut. I, I, I just don't think that you were designed and that your eternal purpose here is, is to be a failure. I think that your life here on earth is, is designed to be fruitful. It's designed to be great. It's designed to be awesome. And there are good things to come. There are great things to come. Just don't get caught up in the past. And then on the other side, I would say, don't get caught up in the future. Don't be a time traveler into the future either. Well, if I do this, then this, you know, if I, you know, in sports, it's like, well, I'm afraid if I throw an interception, my coach is going to bench me. Well, let's cross that bridge when we get there. Let's stop creating scenarios that don't exist yet in the future. And let's just focus on the right here and the right now and focus on what you can do to enjoy this moment right here. And I don't mean enjoy, you know, out of this world enjoyment, but just be content and peaceful in this moment right here and right now. I don't know how many times I, we've been talking about something and you've just said, Andrew, you know, trust your gut. You know what's going on. You know what's the right thing to do. And you've been right every time. I, I love that advice. You said you had a question? Yeah. Um, what is your thoughts or what is your feelings about maybe us people out here that are dealing with people that have addictions or that are um, – that, that have loved ones that they care about a lot, that they don't want them to feel judged. They want, they, they want to be a resource to them. They want to be helpful, but maybe we don't necessarily know how to do that. How, what is the best thing that I can do to be a good friend to someone who's coming out of a really tough situation, I guess, is my question. It's a really good question. Uh, how do you support? So just to make sure I'm clear on the question, how do you support your friends that maybe are going through addiction um, what's the best way to support them without being judgmental and being of help to them? I think the first, is that right though, Riley? That's the question. Yeah, that, that feels about right. And I, and I think maybe I'm talking about maybe after they've been through the process as they're coming out into the world, how can I be a support? How can I be an influence for good? Good question. I would go to them and ask them. I would just like, I, I think the worst thing you can do is make assumptions on how to support somebody. And, yeah. and you could very easily be like, let's hang out every day or let's, let's do this or let's spend time doing that. And they might be like, they might be like, well, I don't really want to do that. And you, you know, you think you're being supportive and they're like, really what I need is, is this. And so I would just go to the, to somebody coming out of rehab, coming out of addiction, who's got some sobriety under their belt and say, Hey man, First of all, I know you've been through hell and back because they have. Second of all, help me understand it. I think that's a good question to ask. Addiction is greatly misunderstood, and I'm actually going to do a whole podcast on it. But, but the, the misconception that a lot of people have 
is that, you know, when we say addiction is a disease, a lot of people get pissed off and they're like, no, it's not. People choose to pick up a drink. They choose to do drugs. They choose to do these things. Yeah, initially, and they are right, initially, there's choice involved in the decision to use a substance, initially. But when people get to an addictive state, their brain is damaged in such a way, and I'm going to give the real quick version, the inner, the inner brain, the midbrain that's like, we need drug, we need food, water, air, and sex to survive. I mean, you talk about those four drives, they're super strong. That's the caveman brain. It's like, you have to do this to survive. Okay. Um, our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain is the part of our brain. That's like, Hey, uh, yeah, you need you, the midbrain says, Hey, we need food to survive. The prefrontal cortex says, Hey, maybe I shouldn't eat 20 chocolate chip cookies, right? The midbrain's going, we like chocolate chip cookies. The prefrontal cortex is saying, we like chocolate chip cookies. Let's eat two, maybe not 20. Because if I eat 20, I'll get a stomach ache. Um, maybe I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to stay fit. Maybe I got, I'm going to, you know, I've got an exercise routine that that's not going to go well for. The, the, the communication between the midbrain and the prefrontal cortex gets damaged in addiction. It, it gets really damaged. And that's where you end up with people, um, their midbrain gets to the point where they need drugs just as much as they need food or water, or, or, or those, those really like, you know, strong drives, drugs go to the top of that list. And the prefrontal cortex isn't working in a way that they go, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore because it's having a negative impact on my life. That's damaged. And they get to the point where if they don't, if they think, if I don't get this substance, I'm going to die. Maybe it's not a conscious thought, but that's how strong that is. That's how strong that desire becomes. And so what you have to realize is that somebody who's gotten sober has had to, has had to go through a process of, I mean, if I told you right now, don't drink water. I mean, in, in, by the end of the day, you'd be, you'd be pretty irritable, you know, by the, by midday tomorrow, you'd be a mess and you're, you know, you'd be pissed off and angry and I mean, that's what you've got to realize it means to someone who's been through addiction when you say, hey, just stop doing this thing. It's that powerful. And that's where it becomes a disease. And really logical, rational, smart people can look you in the eye and say, this is destroying my life and I hate it with everything I have in me. And they'll pick up a drink and, and, be, and take a drink right there. That's why that happens. And that's why for people who have never been through it and they're sitting on the outside are going, you're crazy. You're, you are, you've lost it. And in a way they have, because their brain's gotten a little whacked out and, and it's, it's damaged this, this process that allows them to be like, Hey, this is bad for me. I think I should stop doing it now. So I think educating yourself on that is is really important and i think for a lot of people wrapping their heads around that concept allows them to be a lot less judgmental and a lot more empathetic because man we love to slam addicts right i mean if you're close to an addict chances are they have beaten you up they've stolen your money they've taken advantage of you they've lied to you not because they don't love and care about you but because 
that midbrain says drugs are more important than everything. And that, that front brain, that prefrontal cortex has said, hey, we, we can't really control things anymore. Like we're, we're, we're kind of disconnected from the midbrain. And I don't know if that helps, Riles, but um, I think that's like, I think we should teach this to everybody because everybody knows an addict. And if they don't, they will. And, and so well, going to that, so. yeah, going to that addict saying, how can I help you? How can I support yeah. you? And, and maybe even setting some boundaries around, hey, if you start to relapse, you know, or you think you might, what, what can I do to help? And if they're really sober, they're going to say, if I start to relapse, don't give me money. Don't give me support. Don't give me food. Don't give me a place to sleep. <laughs> you know, because yeah. those are the things that allow addiction to continue on once someone gets to the, to the state that I'm talking about. So, right. I, I just, I, I just asked that question. Obviously I've, I've had friends that have been impacted with this kind of stuff, but I, I think the beauty in your answer is that the answer was the basics of being a friend, right? For anyone that's in trouble. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, I, and I think it's a beautiful process when people can reach out to people that have been through a difficult situation and, and be a good resource and a good friend. So thank you for that. Yeah, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. Super fun to have you on here. I, I think we're going to do this. I'm going to have you on more. This is just the beginning. Um, I think we had, there was a time or two where the, the audio kind of glitched out, but I don't know, maybe I can edit it out, but for anybody listening, <laughs> hopefully you stuck with us. Um, where can people find you? Twitter, um, your, your podcast, where do they, where do they go to find you? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Riley Jensen, R I L E Y J E N S E N. Um, you can find me on Facebook uh, at Riley Jensen Consulting, and where else? I'm on SoundCloud for my uh, podcast. If you follow me on Twitter, I tweet it out each time I do it, so that makes it easy to follow. Um, most of my most of my podcasts are between four and eight minutes and it's basically to start your day and have a little bit of uh, kind of just motivation talking about, you know, it started out as kind of a sports psychology idea, but I think they're just basic principles for everybody on, uh, you know, everything from anxiety to confidence, to motivation, to different things like that. So love to have you follow, love to have you around. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. This is, they're on your podcast. This has been fun. Yeah, man. We'll do it more. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll, we'll, I'll tune in for the next podcast uh, very soon. Thanks a lot. Take care.